0: Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information about Home Church, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your love. Thank you that each and every one of us was met by love. Thank you lord for what you are authoring faith for i ask you god that in in all of my weakness god that your strength would come forth i thank you that you are gracious and compassionate full of mercy slow to anger abounding in steadfast love i thank you that you are yahweh yahweh so we look to you lord we have confidence that you're in our midst because you are merciful and gracious you are faithful and I ask God that you would you would come and you would speak God we desire your voice we desire your voice to be authoritative today God God we ask that it's your voice that leads us we come around you King Jesus and we pray that you would speak I pray that every word that needs to be shared is shared and every word that needs to fall away would fall away That you would draw hearts to yourself this morning jesus name we pray amen amen thank you worship team love the worship team (laughs) hallelujah thank you lord yeah i'm I'm just gonna uh step right into this because i just feel the lord is uh is speaking things that are on on my heart and, and and it's it's just a, there's a, there's a faith already in this room for the love of God. Uh, Jesus is beautiful, as we sang, and there are I want to know Him in every af- aspect of, of who He is. I want to know Him in His His mercy. I want to know Him in His justice. I want to know Him in all aspects, uh, but especially on my heart this morning. It, it's been something that God has been stirring the last few weeks on Sundays, in our prayer room specifically, and that's the love of God. And and I I I want to just I want to give language to I see what the Lord is been highlighting and, and doing in people's lives, and I just want to speak about being met by love this morning. Um, so I pray that your heart is open to that. <laughs> uh, the love of God is one of those things where when you hear it, you can easily begin to kind of close off because it's like that's the ABCs of faith, and in some respects it is foundational, but foundational doesn't mean that that we, we grow from it. We actually just grow in deeper understanding of the love of God. Uh, Paul said that uh, God's love in Ephesians 3, he says it, it knows no height, no length, no width. It's, it's limitless. It's boundless. The love of God is like a vast ocean of which we can never exhaust. We're just forever growing a new revelation of it. And Paul would also say in Ephesians 3 that the key to maturity in that, he says that we would be filled with the fullness of God, that that, that pathway to maturity is growing in the knowledge of God's love. You cannot mature without it. And so I, I just I, I feel the Lord's bringing us it's interesting. The last few weeks, based on everything that's been happening in the world, we've been crying out and responding to God's move uh, that we've seen in Asbury and whatnot. And I feel like at least in part, one of the things Oh, it got me, one of the things that the Lord has been responding back to is just inviting us into his love. And I don't know if there's a greater power, a stronger force to revive a heart, to kill sin habits to lead us into deeper pursuits and deeper sacrifice than when we are met by the radical love of God. <laughs> like we do not outgrow this. We do not mature past this. Jesus says with the same love that the Father has loved me, I love you. Abide in my love. Remain in my love. Stay in my love. Actually, we, we enter into a really really dangerous place when we start to think that we need to outgrow that and move past that. So I want, to, uh, I want to just speak on the, on the profound love of God. I want to take us in just a moment into a story that um, is a little bit different, but I pray that we'd be so stirred of how Jesus met a man and showed incredible love, and it changed his life. And I believe there's encounters this morning, as has already been stirred, uh, to, to be refreshed by the love of God. If hearing that, God loves you, sounds kind of stale, kind of dry to that, I've heard that already, I pray that we would be filled with awe again, amazement again. In fact, that's the right response. I'm going to show you that first. Before we get into this story, I want to stir your heart that we should never grow cold or unexcited by the love of God. It should excite our hearts when we speak about this unfathomable, incalculable love. God, that you would help us to grasp it this morning. How deeply you love us. I promise you, it's the pathway to, you will give more to God. Things that you've tried so hard. Things that leaders have tried to discipline you into, as important as that is. You will never be able to give. But when you encounter the love of God, We will find a man who no one needed to tell him what to respond with. He wanted to give this because he was met by love. So let's go to 1 John 3. (laughs) Paul would say in Ephesians 3, he says that we are, go to 1 John 3, but I just want to put before you Ephesians 3 that Paul said that we are to, that we need the Holy Spirit essentially to know a love that surpasses knowledge. (laughs) It sounds quite contradictory, but Paul is speaking of a love that breaks down human language. There's no words that can rightly and fully articulate how deep God's love is for each and every one of us. And so what we're asking for is Holy Spirit to aid us this morning. (laughs) Actually, let's ask him, because we need him. (laughs) Holy Spirit, we ask. In faith, we ask that you would come and that you would show us, that you would guide us, that you would glorify Jesus, So I pray that you would, where our language and our understanding breaks down, because this love is that deep, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us to encounters, that even though we may not be able to express it with words, we understand it in our heart, God. In our spirit, man, we understand it, God, and it's changed us. I pray, God, that you would come and minister this love so personally to every heart. God, that you would truly revive us by your love. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 John. Chapter 3, if you could turn there, please. I want to eventually get into, like I said, to a story in Luke, but I want to just share and and set a stage to provoke us, not just with empty emotions, but emotions are a right response when we really are rooted in God's word. We should be excited of his love. And here's John. Uh, John just got done writing about anyone who is born of him. Uh, will walk in righteousness, but he's really emphasizing being born of him. And he's just amazed at this reality that we who were once dead in our trespasses, made alive in Christ, could be born from above. And here's what John says, 1 John 3, verse 1. He says, See, behold, or look, some translations say, what kind or what manner of love the Father has given to us or lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. John says, so we are. So for those this morning who think God's love and making you a child is just merely a, just a label, John wants you to know, so we are. He's trying to say it's fact, there's substance, it's reality. It's more than just some, a right doctrine. There's, it's, it's a fact. You have been born from above as a child of God because God loves you and you put your faith in Christ. You are now a child of the King. He says, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Now, there are many lanes we can run in in this text. I simply want to use this again to provoke us into the the beauty of God's love. And John begins by saying, see, look, behold, what manner or what kind of love the Father has given or lavished on us. And I want to put before you that one of the mistakes I know I make often, and maybe you do at times, is that when I approach these scriptures, I can often think that these writers are writing in a very stoic way cold way. That they're merely just trying to write a theological narrative saying, see what kind of love the Father has lavished on us. (laughs) And sometimes I can read these texts as if uh, these writers are really detached from what they're writing, as if they're not being impacted by the very words that they're writing. But these writers are writing under the unction of the Holy Spirit. And what you'll find throughout their writings is there's times where it's almost as if they just have to stop and release what God is burning in their heart because they're being so impacted by the very words that the Spirit of God is leading them to write. So sometimes, like for example, David, you read the Psalms and David writes, My tears are my food, period. Now you just keep reading, but we have no idea what's happening here. For all we know, there's a 30 minutes, an hour of just silence where David is weeping before God as he's saying, God, where are you? My enemies surround me. These men weren't just writing and saying, my tears are my food, period. We do that, but they're being gripped. And that's important because we can strip the scriptures of their emotive nature. There's a passion that we are meant to feel. These men were writing it. Paul would write about the thanksgiving he has for the church. Do you think Paul's writing, I thank you, thank you, God, for what you're doing in Ephesus? No, I would imagine that Paul at times just has to stop and there's just this spontaneous worship saying, God, I praise you that the gospel is going forth, that despite the Roman oppression, despite limited resources, God, you are moving and touching lives. You're breaking boundaries, God, and saving your people. One of the clearest examples is in Romans 11. Just hear this. Paul, in Romans 11, he just gets done writing 10 chapters of some of the richest theological truth. I mean, he's just been expounding on one glorious divine mercy after another. And then when he gets into chapter 11, verse 33, Paul says this, Oh, <laughs> the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. After 10 and a half chapters, Paul, his next verses, he goes, oh, <laughs> And you can read through that, but is, there's some glorious words in that verse 33, riches, wisdom, knowledge, but sometimes our greatest theology is the O. Sometimes the greatest witness is a heart that has been so moved by the glories of God that someone can see a heart that just says, oh, God. Like, Lord, restore the O in our hearts, right? Or take the O deeper. I think sometimes, the, 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 for me personally, I, maybe it's because of my own life, the issue is not always being offended with Christ. It's not even uh, a misunderstanding. I think sometimes the biggest problem is boredom in the church. <laughs> and I feel a particular passion to not distort something, but, cre- but simply communicate the glories of God, yeah. the beauty of Christ that's found in the scriptures. Yeah. And when Paul writes, oh, he's not writing this, he's, this is not a mere transitional phrase that he's writing. Yeah. Paul is passionately proclaiming, the impact that his words are having on his very own soul. After 10 chapters of ruminating on the glories of Christ, he can't contain it. The only thing that comes out is, oh, the mercies of God, the riches of God. And he wants to do it in our life. And this morning, this can be in many avenues, but it's the love of God. That if we've grown to a place where we say, oh, God loves me, God would say, restore the O of his love. Restore the O of his love. I know I need it. I need it. I need it again. I need it afresh. God, restore your O to our hearts, Lord, that we would know how how wide and how deep, how long, how much You love us, God. I just I pray for every heart, God, wherever they find themselves, Lord, that they would know that we don't, God, we're not growing further apart from You, Lord. You have not putting Your arms out towards us, God, but we're Your beloved. I thank you that while we were your enemies, God, you fought for us, God. Now that we're your children, how much more do you keep us, God? How, do you more, how much more do you contend for us, Lord? I pray your love, your love would touch us in Jesus' name. Charles Spurgeon, uh, I think he would say that it's appropriate at times to just say, Oh, <laughs> he speaks on the immeasurable greatness of God. And when, he, when he's writing on God's greatness, he says this, He says notes of exclamation suit us when words of explanation are of no avail in other words when words start breaking down and you can't properly explain what it is that you're beholding and meditating on the only proper response is to praise and that's okay that's why worship one of the reasons why worship is so powerful even though we're singing words the heart though is really expressing something so much deeper it's like there's so much more I want to give to him and sometimes just speaking it is not enough, but it's like there's so much emotion behind the love that we have for him. Spurgeon would go on to say, if we cannot measure, we can marvel. <laughs> and though we may not calculate with accuracy, we can adore with fervency. <laughs> the greatness of God is incalculable. That runs in every facet of God, but particularly the love of God this morning. We may, I made it. I, I will fall so short of ever properly communicating it. But may we at least adore this morning. May we at least be filled with awe. May we at least marvel, at least to some extent, what it is that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Now I say all that because that's how John is writing this first verse. When he writes, see, look, behold, what kind or what manner of love the Father has lavished on us. John's words are bursting forth from a heart that's being ignited by the revelation of God's love. It's as if John's John's words virtually bristle with urgency and excitement. It's like he's saying, come quickly. Come, look, look, listen. You can't even imagine what it is that I have to tell you. Come, look, behold, meditate on the love that the Father has lavished on you. John's inviting us this morning to be stunned, to be excited, to be exhilarated, to be consumed, to be preoccupied. That's everyone's inheritance here this morning. And it's a work of the Holy Spirit. We're, just gonna set, we're not going to try to force something. We're going to set ourselves before the scripture. If we just set our hearts like that, God's word, by, by the spirit, he's going to do that this morning. Right. We're going to step away and say, oh my goodness, what love the Father has lavished on us. <laughs> John would say, don't rush. Don't glance over this. Don't treat this lightly. Stop. Look. And you know what's amazing is that John's writing this in his elderly years. <laughs> now here's a man You want to talk about, this is the 40, 50 years going to church, which is awesome, that faithfulness. Here's a man who's seen it all. I mean, this man has walked with Christ. He has seen the miracles. He's witnessed the, the, he's heard the messages. He's witnessed death and resurrection. And yet in his elderly years, here's a man who's still getting excited about the love of God. (laughs) That's the invitation this morning. No matter how long you've been walking with God, if we feel like we've gotten stale, that means one thing. We've just, we're missing the depth, the height. The breath of his love. There's an invitation to be excited once more. So God, restore the O this morning. (laughs) The intensity of awe and amazement. And to be clear, I think there's different expressions of that O. Uh, To give you the two, like, ends of the spectrum on one side, I think this morning the Lord can bring us to a place where it's pure ecstatic joy. Like, you're just overwhelmed, But sometimes the O, when Holy Spirit begins to reveal to you who the Lord is, sometimes the O is actually this painful realization that God is really this way. I've been operating with a different paradigm, and therefore I've been giving something out to others that is not in alignment with who my Father is. And that's equally as beautiful. Sometimes some of us will go, oh, this morning, because His love is so beautiful. Some will say, oh, God, I didn't know you were like this. I didn't know you were viewing me this way. And I was certainly not giving this out to those that are around me. My love was so limited. But this love is so different, and there's a whole gamut of O's in between that. (laughs) The love of the Father that he's given to us, he's lavished on us. God's love is demonstrated, no doubt about it. It was shown, Romans 5.8. But his love is not just shown, it's given. Love is given. God has infused and imparted his love into us by his own nature. That's what it means to be born of him. So when you and I love someone else with the love of God, it's not because we're merely... Uh, uh, imitating an external model. It's God's nature being lived through us. God wants to impart freshly his love this morning. And then the last thing on this before we go into the story is John writes, see what kind or what manner of love the Father has lavished. It's interesting, the word here is potipen, which literally can be defined as what country. In other words, what John is saying is where does this love come from? It's otherworldly. Wow. <laughs> The love of God is otherworldly. And why is it so important that we have to continually come back to God's love? Because we're operating in worldly love often. I don't mean sinful. Worldly can mean sinful. I just mean natural and limited. So if we don't keep God's love before us that is otherworldly, our natural default is to start engaging with God through worldly love, through limited expression, natural expression, and to give that love out to one another. That's why we have to keep coming back. Over time, we'll just go back to what we're used to, which is worldly love. But his love, John says, what manner, what world does this love come from? <laughs> it's the love of heaven coming into this earth. So here's, here's the challenging part is because it's otherworldly, uh, here's what I think a proper presentation of God's love will do. Number one, it'll cause you to be overwhelmed in a good way. But number two, it'll cause you to be offended. <laughs> if his love is truly otherworldly, then at some point, his love will always go to a place where we're saying, I'm right with you, God. And then all of a sudden we say, ah, that's where I draw the line for love. God goes right past that. And that's where we say, ooh. His ge- one of the things that offended the religious, and not just religious, just people, is the generosity of God. Some of the parables on God's generosity caused the deepest hatred by those around. What do you mean you give the same wages to the person that came at the very end, that, to the one that's been laboring all day? God says, don't you know it's all a gift? <laughs> So as we set our hearts, as John said this morning, we're going to set our hearts to behold the love of God, to look upon this otherworldly love, and we should not be caught off guard when simultaneously we're being overwhelmed slash borderline offended. (laughs) Amen. That's a good thing. So let's go to Luke 19. Luke 19. And I'll be honest, I was torn with so many different places around in this. And maybe we'll come back to other play, other stories. I, I just felt led to go into this particular count. Uh, I've been reading this book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. It's been life-changing. Uh, it's just approaching these, these scriptures with fresh eyes of understanding how the original culture was receiving this. And I tell you, you, there's just so much that you miss that adds such depth to these stories when you understand the little nuances and the details. Guys, if i could give you one one bit of advice when you read the scriptures read it as if every word is hyperlinked in other words you know when you go in the computer and put your mouse over a word and there's a blurb that comes up every word is hyperlinked every word has such uh intention the writers by the holy spirit put these words in and these clues are so important to what's going on and then the other issue is that a lot of what's not written is not because it's not important but it's just so assumed the culture already knew these things and we don't know that we don't live in that culture. So as we study those things, these texts come alive, and there's such fresh life on it. So I want to look at a story uh, by, the, by the man by the name of Zacchaeus, a tax collector, and we're going to see how this man was met met by love and his, his life was changed, and then we're just going to pray for God to meet us that way this morning, all right? <laughs> it's going to be beautiful. So is everyone there Luke 19? Now I'm going to teach a little bit this morning. Journey with me, because each point is going to build and really add to, uh, to I feel like, where it starts to climax uh, midway through this. So here's what I want you to see, guys, is that to, in order to really appreciate this story, you actually have to go back to Luke 18, verse 35. We're not reading all of it, but I just want you to see how verse 35 reads. It says, as he drew near to Jericho. Does everyone see that? Okay, now look at Luke 19, verse 1, where we're going. It says he entered Jericho. The reason why that's important is because if you want to get full context, this We're meant to read that previous story in Luke 18, and this one has one continuous journey. He's, He's drawing near to Jericho, now he's entering Jericho. And one of the things that Luke will often do is he will stack two people or two concepts next to each other to accentuate one primary point. So for example, Mary and Martha. He could have just talked about Mary, but he brings Martha in there to really drive home the point of Mary. Luke's doing the same thing here. You can't fully appreciate the point he's making without understanding the full picture, which is the story before which is where Jesus goes and heals a man who is blind. In other words, Jesus in that situation, his love comes and touches someone who's been oppressed. But what makes this shift so radical is now Jesus is going to show that love not to someone who's oppressed, but to an oppressor, to a tax collector. And what Luke wants us to see is the same love that Jesus gave to the oppressed is the same love that he gives to the oppressor. You can't appreciate how offensive this is until you understand that his love is being extended to every single person. This is his justice. Oh, it's gonna get really good. Because there's people that say, well, they were taken advantage, they were wrong, God, your love for them. But he says yes, but his love is also for those that actually did wrong things. Because to a certain extent, we're all Zacchaeus. It's not because he's overlooking their sin. Actually, justice is possible because everything that the, oppressed, the oppressors have done, he's taken on himself. That's why he can say you can walk free. Not because he's winking at their sin. He says, but I'm going to pay for everything you've done as well. On, yeah. It's radical love. <laughs> Every single person. We can't appreciate the, the offensiveness of this story unless you've got to think about someone in your life who you think is completely written off. you got to think about if someone in your life who culturally everyone hates then you'll understand what Jesus is about to do, and Everyone says, huh? You came to this man? Wow. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> so here we go. Remember, journey with me. I'm, I'm going to teach through this, but it's going to add to it. Verse 1. It says, he, meaning Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. Okay, stop. This may be one of the more important details of this text. That Jesus was coming to Jericho but was just going to pass through. He was actually just going to go to Jerusalem. He was passing through. Why this is so important is because in Middle Eastern culture, the, the expectation is that when someone comes in a guest, particularly someone of great prominence, which at this point many are believing he is the Messiah, what they would have expected is that he's going to stay the night there and that he, they're going to be able to host him. So what Luke is trying to get us to know is that as he comes into this town, he's actually putting aside the, the desire for him to stay there for the night, and he's just going to pass through. And why that's important is many in the town then would have been deeply disappointed as this. In a, in a culture where hospitality is so important, it would have been one of the highest honors to house a guest like Jesus, particularly if you're believing he is the Messiah. The fact that he's saying, I'm sorry, I'm just passing through, would have been a great like, shock to the heart. So that's the setup right here is that Jesus is going through. Now here's verse 2. Here we get our first character. It says, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now what Luke wants us to know is some really important things about who Zacchaeus is. Three things that are setting a stage for how deeply despised he is. Number one, he's a tax collector. Now again, you probably have heard this, but just it's worth it so we're on the same page. Tax collectors were not just shrewd businessmen. It wasn't that they just made some extra bucks. They literally were part of severe injustices to their own people. A tax collector was of Jewish descent who worked for the Romans. So they worked for the oppressor. And they would carry out and enforce the Roman taxation laws on their own people. So these people are hated. If you don't pay back your taxes, you could lose your home, which happened. You could be imprisoned. Or you could actually, in the severe cases, have execution. So these were not just shrewd businessmen, they were literally inflicting devastation on their own people, all while benefiting the enemy which is Rome. Now what this says is he's not only a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. Which means Zacchaeus literally is running this whole corrupt system over his town. And not only that, but he's rich. Which means when tax collectors go to their people and tell them you gotta pay your taxes, they could ask for any amount of money they want and that difference would profit themselves. So what this is trying to say is, is that he was incredibly corrupt. He really jacked up the prices on his own people, and therefore he benefited greatly from it. So the whole setup is Jesus is passing through, and now there's this man who is as despised as you can get. If they had an opportunity, they will kill this man. That's the idea. All that to say, summarize it, tax collectors were viewed as unclean. Do you know that tax collectors are unclean? Now we say that's not just a disparaging label. That literally means you're excommunicated from society. You can't go in synagogues, you can't partake. What it's trying to show us is this man is completely cut off from society, from culture, and in many ways you could say rightfully so, but nevertheless, this man has been pushed aside for the way that he's treated his own people. Here's verse three. And he, meaning Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. Stop. <laughs> Many times we read this as this is just saying that he was really tiny and couldn't look over the crowds. He was small, but the issue that, he, that Luke is wanting us to see is he's not only small, he's hated. For on account of the crowds, he could not see Jesus. In other words, anyone uh, who was welcomed in the community would simply say, please move over. He wouldn't dare ask the crowds to move aside because he knew how much they hated him. So what Luke is showing is that he is, again, absolutely despised by these people. He can't even see Jesus. Verse 4, so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. (laughs) Now there's a lot of bizarre details that come out in this text, but one of the things is that he had to run ahead to get to a sycamore tree. So one of the the things that's interesting that, that you find in a lot of rabbinic writings is that sycamore trees could not be grown within the town. I know it sounds kind of bizarre, but sycamore trees, for hazardous reasons and for just aesthetics, you weren't allowed to grow them by houses. They had to be outside the city. So why it's emphasizing he had to run ahead to get to a sycamore tree is because he had to go outside the town. In other words, Zacchaeus is hoping that by the time he gets this tree, by the time Jesus comes, the crowds will have dispersed by them because it's outside Jericho. He's hoping that he will not have to deal with the crowds because they hate him so much. And these trees, sycamore trees, have these big, broad, bushy leaves that are low-hanging. So it's not like he's just sitting up there like an easy sight. He's actually hiding in the leaves. That's the picture. He runs ahead out of sight, hiding, hoping that by the time Jesus gets there, the crowds that hate him will also be gone. But that's not the case. And now the stage is set. Here we go. Here's verse 5. This is the climax of this. This is actually the most important verse where everything changes. And it says, when Jesus came to that place, stop, what place? Where Zacchaeus is. You've got to see this this whole picture unfolding. That means if Zacchaeus is outside the town, Jesus is coming to a place where he's already passed through Jericho. That means that any hope of Jesus staying is crushed now. They would have, along the way, as Jesus is walking, still begging, would you stay, would you stay? And he's saying, I've got to pass through. He's walking through. Now he's outside the city, and they're saying there's no chance that Jesus is going to stay. And what it says here. And we'll read it in just a moment, is that Zacchaeus is spotted. <laughs> that means not just by Jesus, but by the crowds. <laughs> and there's so much that's not said that would be the, the norm of how this scene would unfold. Many would believe this is not this like, oh, look, it's Zacchaeus up in the tree. This would have now been, the, the crowds in these days turned mob-like. And they have now found the man that they despise that has inflicted so much pain, and he cannot hide behind his office power anymore. And because they're in a crowd, they're actually hidden from saying insults and being found out. This would have most likely been a barrage of insults and curses at Zacchaeus. (laughs) So this is the moment, Jesus walking with these crowds. They're leaving, they're already disappointed, and now they see this man that they hate spot in the tree, and the crowds begin to unleash on this man. One insult, one curse after another, and Jesus all the while is listening to all that's taking place. And he's sizing up the tension, and all of a sudden Jesus decides to intervene. And what they would have thought Jesus would say is they would have thought he would have joined in with them and he would have joined in with the oppressed and said, Zacchaeus, you've been found. You cannot hide anymore. You're a traitor to God. You're a traitor to your own people. You've robbed from your people. Come down off that tree, repent, go back to Jerusalem, adhere to the purification laws, then come back to Jericho, adhere to the law, and if you do those things when I come back, I will congratulate you. That's what they would have expected to have heard. But let's see how Jesus actually cries out to him. Verse 5, it says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. (laughs) We can't understand the fullness of how, how impactful this is. He's the whole trip, he's saying, I'm not staying. I'm not staying. I'm not staying. Now he's leaving the town, and they're saying he's definitely not staying. And then Jesus stops and says, actually, I will stay, and I'll stay at that man's house. And the crowds cannot believe this. Him, this unclean man, this is where you will stay? <laughs> the love of God. <laughs> you could just cut the chain and say, this is where I'm going to go. After saying, I will not stay, Jesus says, I will, and this is the man that I'm going to stay. Zacchaeus, in the midst of all of his pain, brokenness, hiding, shame, sin, he's met by love. In the midst of that season, that's where Jesus meets him right there. And everything's going to change for his life. It's the same thing that the Lord has done in our life. (laughs) He meets us right there. (laughs) And what makes this even more profound is that you never ask someone to stay in their house in this type of culture. You have to be invited in. It's all grace here. He's saying, "I'm Zacchaeus, I'm inviting myself into your house. Will you receive this? <laughs> this is a picture of salvation, guys. Jesus comes into our sin. Comes into our sin. Comes into our brokenness. Comes into our, our lives that have so caused pain to other people. And Jesus comes in and says, I want to come into your life. Will you receive me into your life? And I don't mean this cliche in my heart, but will you yield your life to me? And they can't believe it that Jesus will come after this man. (laughs) Zacchaeus is met by love. Look at verse 6. So Zacchaeus, it says, So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully, which by Luke's standard, anytime something is lost and found and there's joy, it's a picture of salvation. Salvation is touching this man. He's received Christ, he's received the invitation to be found. I will come down from this tree. Actually, the whole climax here is he went up to the tree to hide, has an encounter of love in the tree, and then comes down. It's a sign that his life is changing now. He's where he hid from the crowds. He's willing to come out now because he's been accepted by God Himself. So he humbled and came down and received him joyfully. And here's where it even intensifies more. Verse seven says, "And when they saw it, the crowds, they all grumbled." They all, not just like complain, this was, again, they despised what was taking place. And they said, he, meaning Jesus, has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. The crowds grumbled when they saw this, and they were angry because Jesus went in to now stay the night after he said he wouldn't with a person who was deemed unclean by their law. In other words, they're saying, Jesus, if if he's the Messiah, if he stays the night in this house, That means when he emerges the next morning, he will be ceremonial unclean. Is that how a Messiah should act? But I want you to know that Jesus is not afraid to eat their polluted food. He's not afraid to sleep in their defiled bed. Jesus will go to such extents to actually save this man as well. This is what he's done in our life. In my addiction, he was not afraid to step in to my brokenness and mess. He wasn't afraid to lose. He didn't have to do this because what's happening now is it says the crowds grumble at Jesus Where did the crowds first have their hostility towards? Zacchaeus. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's literally shifting the hatred of the crowds from Zacchaeus to himself, saying, Zacchaeus, I will take everything that you deserved. It's a microcosm of the gospel. Truly, by his stripes we are healed. He reaches right out in our sin, in our mess, in our brokenness. If you read any story of Jesus encountering an individual, you will always see this thread. Somehow, whatever was on that person, in order for Jesus to heal them, it doesn't just go anywhere, it goes on him. That's the cross. That's the only way we can be set free. Jesus is actually living out the power of the cross right here. He's showing a small picture of what's about to happen when he dies in our place. The gospel is about Jesus continually reaching into our brokenness, taking what we deserve in order to heal us that which was on the crowd that's what was on Zacchaeus has now been placed on Jesus so that Zacchaeus can walk do you understand that why this is not this is why it's not unjust what Jesus is doing because to the oppressed they may say are you kidding me you're just going to let him walk but that's not what's happening yeah. just like Jesus didn't just let us walk God didn't just let us walk right. there was a payment actually paid right. yes. there was there was trespasses that stood against us and God didn't just swipe it under the rug but someone came and canceled them that's Jesus So there is justice. This is why it says in 1 John 1 that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. I would think my confession of sin, how does that match up with giving me confidence? Uh, How does God's justice give me confidence when I confess my sin? I would expect that should have terror in my heart. But the thing that it's saying is that's how powerful God's blood is. It's saying Jesus' sacrifice is so sufficient That you know when you go before the Father and confess your sins by the blood of Jesus, he has to forgive you because he's just. And what Jesus did is enough. Therefore, Zacchaeus has to be liberated here. Zacchaeus is the recipient of a costly demonstration of love. Grace is costly, guys. Every time Jesus is going around setting people free, again, it's under the understanding that he's paid for everything that he's doing hallelujah. (laughs) Oh, what manner of love (laughs) the Father has lavished on us, that we would see ourselves like Zacchaeus. Verse 8. Verse 8 is so significant because the scene actually shifts. We're now actually in the house of Zacchaeus where he's throwing a banquet for Jesus. And I want you to hear this. is so important, guys, because this response is one of the key things of why uh, I'll get that in a moment. But I want you to see that Zacchaeus This part of the story is so unique because it gives us a rare glimpse as to the impact of God's love when it penetrates a human heart. Because most of the time in the gospels, you see Jesus encountering people and showing this type of love in different ways, but the gospels oftentimes never tell you how the person responds afterwards. It's actually something that the writers do intentionally because what it's meant to make us do is stop and say, wait a minute, how did they respond to that costly demonstration of love? How did I respond? (laughs) The whole point is that it's supposed to make us stop and say, wait a minute, in the same way Jesus reached out into my life, how have I responded now that he's taken on everything that I deserve? For example, we don't know how the prodigal son responded the morning after that banquet. We don't know. But that's that's intentional. It's meant to say, wait a minute, he squandered everything, came back and received everything back? Did he go and hug the father in the morning? Did he live his life for the father? What it's meant to do is wait, what did we do since we were the prodigal son? How have I lived my life in light of the radical love that God has given me? How did the wounded man who the Samaritan aided back to life, what did he do when he woke up in the inn- and he came back to his strength and the innkeeper says, It's paid for? What did we do when we woke up from dead in sin and someone said, It's paid for? Your debt's been paid. What do you mean? You're free. <laughs> How have we lived in response to that? That's the whole point. How has my life been changed by being met by this love? Hallelujah. So let's see what Zacchaeus does. Verse 8. It says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. <laughs> You guys, here's one of the things that is so beautiful. No one told Zacchaeus to do this. No one's at this banquet. (laughs) I was thinking of it this way. There's no radical love ministry at this banquet (laughs) that comes up to Zacchaeus and says, hey, I want to just explain what just happened. You were just met by radical love. Here's a copy of the Ten Commandments. Go through it, reform your life, and live by it. I'm not downplaying the role of discipleship by any means but I just want you to see what happens when a, love, when a heart is touched by the love of God. No one has to tell Zacchaeus this is what you have to do. He wants to do this when he realizes what God has done in his life. There are things in my life and in your life that as much as we aid one another and help each other grow. I will never be able to get you to do and you'll never be able to get me to do. But when we encounter in fresh ways the love of God, like we will this morning, in deep ways, yeah. you will find areas that you said, I wanted to go deeper in this. I wanted to give more. God's love will do that. And actually, here's what's so amazing is that what, did, what kind of love did Zacchaeus show? He was literally giving away money now. That's costly love. Why would Zacchaeus show costly love? Because that's what was shown to Him. He's literally imitating and modeling the very own love that Jesus showed to him. Jesus' own act of love becomes the standard for Zacchaeus. That's why my heart, as so many others, is to point us to Jesus. We love one another, but I want you to encounter Jesus' love, because when you encounter that, that's going to become your standard and your model. Guys, this this is so important for all of us, with kids, just anyone in our life, leaders to the... The acts of love that we show will deeply uh, uh, disciple them into the type of love that they're showing to others. As Zacchaeus is met by this love, this becomes the standard for him. And again, to the justice of God here, if we say, I can't believe God would let Zacchaeus go, if we start to understand this, not only it's because Jesus paid for the price, but think about this. What is Zacchaeus doing now with his money? He's giving it back. Jesus the whole time had the crowds in his heart as well. And he said, if I heal the heart of your oppressor, you'll be blessed as well. (laughs) There's not a single person that Jesus is not thinking about. (laughs) His heart is for everyone here. And now the very man that used to extract money from them in in illegal ways, now he's blessing them. (laughs) All through encounters with God's love. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. And then verse 9 and 10. Here's Jesus' final words. I could have the worship team come on up. We're going to close here. It says, And Jesus said to him in this house, in front of everyone, He said, Today salvation has come to this house. Now it's writing, actually, something has already happened. So if salvation has been brought, someone has to bring it. That's Jesus. Salvation has come to this house. He says, since he also is a son of Abraham. Remember what I said, a tax collector was excommunicated from society. What's Jesus doing? He's restoring him. He's restoring his status. He says, you belong to this family as well. Guys, I don't, I don't even know the proper context. This would be like the local drug dealer here whose hands have actually led to the death of many people. That's honestly how radical it is, and I know that's really challenging. On my own life, I've bared the, the effects of that. Many of you have felt the effects of that. But put whatever person, some political leader that you feel is destroying this nation, Jesus' heart is after them. That's the individuals that he's coming. That's the offensiveness of this story that they couldn't believe. This person you're coming to save? Come and touch our hearts. And then he closes out in verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Hallelujah. Why don't we stand? But I, I really felt this morning that we were going to be met by love. <laughs> it's a love that's transformative. Love is... The grace of Jesus is costly, yes. It costs Jesus everything. But if you think about it, it costs Zacchaeus everything too. His life was never the same. That which he used, used to prize and prioritize, he's now giving away freely. So when we're met by love, it's going to radically change our lives. And like I said, there's a, there's a, a wide range of <laughs> the O to encountering God's love in a fresh way. But we just make room for all of that. If God's stirring just an overwhelming feeling of joy, then let's just, let's pray into it. Tell someone in the prayer team, we'll lay hands and pray into it. If you're overwhelmed by maybe a love that you've been holding back to someone, and it's the O of that painful realization, then let's pray into that. That God would, his love would be put in you and then through you. But whatever it is, I just, I invite you as we begin to worship. uh, If you feel led to respond, if you want to stay in your seats and encounter God there, that's fine as well. But we have a prayer team that's ready to to contend. So let let me pray for us as a group and then we're going to open this up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, what manner of love this is. That your heart is for the oppressed. Your heart is for the oppressor. Your heart is for all. Thank you that you made a way, Jesus, for every wrong to be made right. Thank you that your justice is so radically different. Oh, the punishment was paid, but you endured it for us. The one innocent one. The one blameless one. You endured it all, that we could be set free. I pray this morning, God, I pray, God, that you would come and you would meet hearts right now. I pray that fire, the fire of God would be put into hearts, God. That your love, as we receive love, we would give you love. We would give love to this world. I pray, God, that love would be imparted this morning. Love would be infused, God. I pray you would come into our sin. I pray you would come into our hiding. Those that are in the sycamore trees, God, I pray you would come right into the hiding, God that they would hear your voice calling out to them, God. I pray, you would, I pray they would know, God, that there's nothing they can do but say yes to that call, God. I pray, God, will we put limits on how much we'll pursue you, like Zacchaeus, will we give more, God. I thank you that grace takes us beyond the law, God. May we be a radical people because you are a radical God who went to the cross for while we are yet still sinners. You died for us, Jesus. I pray you would come and revive hearts by your love this morning, God. Come, come. Yeah, before we even open up, let's just ask God to come here. Come on, as a corporate body, he's going to respond to this. Come and fill. Come and fill, Lord. Come and fill this place with your love, oh, Lord. Come and fill this place with your love, oh, God. Your love is real. That we should be called children of God, and so you are. It's a fact. It's a reality. Let the substance of your love take root in hearts this morning, God. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Lord. Come and fill, Lord. Come and fill your people with your love, God. We want to live by otherworldly love, God. Come and transform our hearts, God. We're so happy you could join us on the Home Church Podcast. We pray this week's message encourages you to behold the Lord Jesus and bring his kingdom wherever you go. You can visit us online at myhomechurch.org, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us on social media. If you would like to give to this ministry, text the amount to 84321. Bless you.